Well, good morning and thanks so much for joining us. Another snowy day, depending on which part of the province you're in. A little bit of snow and uh, making for some icy driving and maybe even visibility problems in chunks of the province. So I've been throwing it out there. Check that highway hotline, especially if you're going to be heading somewhere for the weekend. Good idea to Check in on that highway hotline. Nothing is closed down like we saw yesterday. Parts of the Trans-Canada were closed today. Not dealing with that, but we are dealing with some uh, reduced visibility in and around Saskatoon and, of course, slippery spots as well. Well, October of last year was when we saw a federal court in Canada dismiss the challenges to that federal government's ban on firearms. That decision now is being appealed to the Federal Court of Appeal. And as of Monday of this week, we learned that the province of Saskatchewan has applied for intervener status in this. So that, to me, prompted a good opportunity to call Saskatchewan's Chief Firearms Officer, Robert Freeberg, and say, why don't we get you to come in and we can talk about that and we can talk about a whole host of other things with regard to firearms. So joining me this morning, Saskatchewan Chief Firearm Officer, Robert Freeberg. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me on the show, Evan. I appreciate it. And uh, you've also brought uh, another uh, well-known person in the province when it comes to firearms, Senior Legal Counsel for the Saskatchewan Firearms Office, Blaine Bevan. Blaine, thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Good morning, Evan. Thanks for having me. So, Bob, you and I had the opportunity to work uh, together on firearm-related things uh, in my old job. And so this this issue of, of firearms and firearm crime in Canada is something that's fairly near and dear to my heart. I had the opportunity to chair a, a federal committee for the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police. Uh, and so when it comes to things like bans and freezes, I've been fairly outspoken about that uh, and now have this job and this opportunity to talk about the fact that, you know, in in simple words, I don't believe a ban or a freeze is something that's going to substantially change crime in our province, knowing that criminals aren't going to follow what's written on the paper. We've, we've proven that time and time again. I'm not surprised to see this move by the province when it comes to intervener status. Why is this important for Saskatchewan? Well, it's important on a few fronts, and I'm going to have Blaine talk a little bit more on uh, legal ramifications of it. But Really, I think the goal that we're trying to do here with, with the province taking over the responsibilities of the CFO and, and appointing me in the job is to really get back to the basics. You know, let's get back to, you know, licensing, education, firearm storage, working with law enforcement partners, mm-hmm. and at the same time also uh, making people aware of what the responsibilities are, but at the same time advocating for people that uh, are using firearms responsibly. And so we're we're very upset about what we're seeing here. And honestly, the propaganda that we're seeing around it, Evan, like when we announced this intervener status, it came out in the national news. Well, you know, there's a picture of somebody shooting a full automatic firearm with a high capacity magazine and saying the province is intervening and trying to make some overtures that that's the direction that we're going when that is absolutely false information. I mean, those firearms haven't been around since the 60s or high, and even right. before. So, you know, we're, we've got people out there that have got a Mossberg 22 rifle one version it's got a wood stock and it's fine it's non-restricted the other one's prohibited and they could go to jail for mm-hmm. a number of years so what we're really trying to do is, is as an intervener is point out that these are hunting and sporting firearms in many cases and um, really bring some common sense to this whole conversation but evan yeah. can, and again uh, blaine can really kind of talk a little bit more about what the province is doing because it is a justice initiative as yeah. well. Yeah, I'm curious, Blaine, on that topic. Like, there's whenever you've got a case like this going to the uh, court of appeal, so it's already been adjudicated on at one level. Now it's being looked at again. What are some of the the grounds or the areas that will be focused on? Sure. So, um, 
at the trial level, it was uh, I think there were seven applicants, and and the um, government of Alberta did intervene at the trial level on the uh, constitutional and min law arguments. And after that, uh, you know, as we know, we got the decision in October, right before the amnesty was supposed to expire. The right. timing seemed a little coincidental, but uh, it dismissed all the uh, all the applications. And the applications that the uh, or the the grounds that was originally challenged on were were quite varied with different charter arguments, um, including you know Section 15, equality before the law, uh, Section, um, geez, why I'm blanking, Section 26 as well in a bill of rights and, and different areas that really um the the judge didn't really focus on those i think or didn't really give a lot of time to them focused more on the administrative law question which is about how the governor and council actually is allowed to prohibit these because you got to remember in the in in the way that laws work uh when parliament passes a law it has to go through a process it has to go through debates it has to go through readings it has to go through committees it has to go through the senate and that's to pass an act or legislation. When Parliament decides to pass a regulation, they can do that by order in council on certain things. And here, an order in council, which is simply an order signed by the Governor General, put forward by um, the government of the day, uh, they can do that and pass the regulation without any debate, any discussion. And that's what occurred when this ban happened in May of 2020. It was an order in council. Now, the criminal code allows for that to occur as long as certain specifications are met. Specifically, the governor and council, or the government of the day cabinet, has to reasonably believe that these, or has to believe that these firearms are not reasonable for sporting and hunting. And that was really what the main engagement was at the trial level. Interestingly, um, but not surprisingly, the federal government refused to provide any justification for how it came to that opinion. Right. Um, and they weren't required to. And so following that, uh, the judge at the federal court determined that they didn't need to provide that. And basically it's just that these guns are so such a serious threat and so deadly that that's why they're not reasonably used. Mm. The problem with that, of course, is those firearms have been reasonably used for hunting and sports shooting for decades. Right. And firearms like that. So when we look at what we're doing on the – and I shouldn't say we. I mean the Saskatchewan Firearms Office is not – uh, leading the appeal, that's uh, or leading the intervention, that's federal justice. But they're intervening. The Attorney General of Saskatchewan has the ability to intervene on constitutional questions and has to ask permission from the court to intervene on administrative law questions. And I think they're going to be focused on both. But obviously one of the issues is, was that determination by the judge uh, the correct determination in terms of whether the governor and council reasonably uh, made that decision. Right. Blaine Bevan, Senior Legal Counsel for the Saskatchewan Firearms Office. So you, you may not be leading the charge, but I'm assuming you will have some significant input in terms of what some of the focus areas should yeah, be. Yeah, so they're, they're um, preparing the appeal uh, documents. They filed some. There's going to be an affidavit, which actually we've been working on with uh, the Chief Firearms Officers provided, because there has to be an evidentiary basis for this application for leave to appeal. So we provided an affidavit from the Chief Firearms Officer and then we work closely with justice on a lot of different issues, but uh, this one we will be working with uh, justice's team to provide um, some insight, some expert insight. I mean, the, the lawyers we have at the firearms office, myself and Timothy Armstrong, are, uh, you know, we're there because we know firearms, we know firearm laws, and we, we know how the rubber hits the road and, and can provide that input. We're also, like everyone at the firearms office, uh, we're avid sports shooters, we're hunters. We're firearms right. owners, and so these things affect us as well. 
Uh, so justice has been really good in having that relationship. And of course, we're not under the Ministry of Justice. We're under a different ministry. But our ministers collaborate to work together because it's, at the end of the day, getting more eyes on this makes sense. And then when we right. have other uh, initiatives, like, for example, the Saskatchewan Firearms, Off- or Saskatchewan Firearms Act, that was a joint initiative between Justice and CPPS right. in our office. Blaine Bevan, Senior Legal Counsel for the Saskatchewan Firearms Office. Also joining me today is Robert Freeberg, Saskatchewan's Chief Firearms Officer. You know, people are going to call you a politician. If you start showing up with a lawyer everywhere you go, Bob, people are going to say, that's a politician move right there. Well, no, that's a firearms owner's move because <laughs> okay, that, that, that's what you need nowadays <laughs> to enough. understand the legislation. Adam. So where are things at with this military-style rifle ban? Like, th- this thing has really been kicked down the road numerous times. We've seen that amnesty period period moved. We've seen the scope of of the actual firearms that are captured in that move. They changed the definition a couple of times, which has put thousands of uh, law-abiding firearm owners offside, and then they retract a little bit. Where where are things at, Bob? Well, again, and the, the extensions there, and then there's been discussions that have been ongoing between the province and the federal government the with respect to these OIC firearms. I mean, we clearly understand, Evan, that you know, it, when October 2025 comes along, if nothing's changed, people are going to be in, you know, possession of these firearms. And they're going to have to be able to dispose of them in some legal manner. We don't want to turn people into criminals. So we're having conversations with them, what that would look like. And interestingly enough, I mean, we just got a news uh, release or a, a comment from Ontario, and they've now turned the corner and said, we don't want law enforcement being involved in the confiscation of these OIC guns. Mm-hmm. We've got 90% of our firearms coming from smuggled guns across the border. We can't keep up with that. And of course, we've got the issue with the car theft that, you know, we've seen. Mm-hmm. They're going, we just can't put officers out there. And we're, we have the same position as Saskatchewan. So we're looking at what we can do within the firearms office and how we could facilitate some mechanism to make it, uh, I guess, as convenient as possible for our stakeholders, but at the same time, make, make sure that they're being properly compensated, that they're, you know, they're being treated fairly and that they're understanding, I guess, for the main part, that what they own is actually prohibited. Cause don't forget, a lot of these firearms are non-restricted right, right now. They've had them for 20 years. They don't even know that the gun's on the list. Yeah. That's a, it's a big education thing. I know the, fu- the, the funding thing. So the, the amount of money that the federal government was going to pay was also a big problem. They were, they were not even close in some cases to fair market value. So the incentive for people to turn those, those firearms in was not there. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, there's all this thing, uh, comments that, you know, we're pushing back or not cooperating or anything. Well, actual fact, we are. I mean, we've put a compensation plan together. We're building a portal for people to be able to go into later to get a value because we believe the property rights on these firearms belong within the province's jurisdiction. Right. But the biggest thing is to, we see that if people are going to get good value for these items, there'll probably be a lot more compliance. If they're not going to get good value, they're not going to comply. Yeah. So in some ways, you know, if, if we can turn that corner, it may become more successful. If in fact it actually comes through, I mean, there's talk that it might get. Yeah. Well, uh, a change back. in government, a change in government might make a difference there too. In fact, I'm, I, I think uh, Pierre Polyev, when he joined me just before Christmas, hinted at the fact that, you know, both carbon tax and the firearm stuff is likely going to get tossed if uh, he forms the next government. So, all right. I want to take a break. Robert Freeberg, Saskatchewan's chief firearm officer and Mr. Blaine Bevan, lawyer for the Saskatchewan 
Firearms Office are uh, my guests here today. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a bit about the handgun freeze, Bill C-21, which I think there are a couple of things in there that are positive when it comes to uh, safety, enhancing safety and security for the country. So we'll talk a bit about that. And after 1030, we're going to open up the phones for you. So if you have a question, firearm-related question that you would like to pose from a couple of the experts from the Saskatchewan Firearms Office, one 332 8255 is that number, and that's coming up just after 10.30 right here on 650-CKOM and 980-CJME. Friday morning, and thanks so much for joining us. We're talking firearms this morning and uh, chief firearms officer for the province of saskatchewan bob freeberg is in joining me along with blaine bevan the senior legal counsel for the saskatchewan firearms office so we were talking about the uh the military style rifle ban which uh we've been seems like we've been dealing with forever in the last couple of years anyway uh the handgun freeze and bill c21 um i mentioned to you i popped into the uh the gun show that was in Regina at the Turvey Center there uh, earlier in, in January, man, it seemed to me like it was a shadow of its former self, Bob, compared to, you know, what used to be upstairs as down and well as downstairs exhibitors and, and tons of people. It seemed to be a lot smaller this year. And I'm guessing these, these laws have something to do with that. Well, there's no question. And on this handgun freeze, I mean, Evan, I mean, it's, I don't get it. I mean, we've got firearms out there, for example, with estates where people have, you know, had these firearms are part of their state. They used to hand them down or sell them and become value in their state. Now these firearms are basically having to be turned in for destruction. Mm -hmm. And so their state's not getting any value. And then at the same time, you know, they, Uncle Bill wanted Cousin Jimmy to have these. And so the executors don't even know necessarily as firearms owners what to do with them. And these firearms actually can go astray. Right. I mean, what we really want to do is keep them registered and have them sold at a gun show because we're tracking them. Mm-hmm. We know who's buying them, who's selling them, and we're approving the people. So, I mean, I just don't see where the positive outcome of this right. is. Right. You know, an interesting part of this discussion, and, and you would know this very well, but is where what types of guns are being used in the commission of an offense in our province and where they're coming from. And the answer to both of those questions in Saskatchewan looks a lot different than what it does in Metro Toronto uh, or downtown Vancouver. And so not to say that handguns haven't been used for crime, because they have, but it's not predominantly the problem we see in the province. No, and that's why, and again, you'll be seeing another big uh, campaign that we're running. We have done one, we just finished, and then we're starting up another one right now on safe storage. So we're, I'm basically saying to folks, look, I'm out there advocating for responsible firearms owners. You folks have to do your part too, and you got to secure your firearms safely, right. lock them up. You know, you, yes, they're tools, and yes, you need to keep them in, you know, your farm and so forth. But you don't go away on a holiday or you go to Farm Progress Show or or you're in the city and you're leaving, like they need to get locked up. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, with those are the firearms that are getting modified. And we hear all this talk about 3D printed firearms. Well, in Saskatchewan, the 3D printer is Axaw. I mean, people are taking these firearms and turning them into right. crime guns, and then they are weapons. And so right. we're trying to we're trying to stop that through education. Chatting with uh, Robert Freeberg, Chief Firearms Officer for the Province of Saskatchewan, Blaine Bevan as well, Senior Legal Counsel for the Saskatchewan Firearms Office. So on on C twenty one, there's a whole bunch of things in there. I think some of them are are great. The uh, CBSA and some of the cross border things that they've laws that they've stiffened to try and and put some teeth into preventing smuggling of guns and trafficking of guns. That's positive. What about this red flag, yellow flag thing? 
maybe Blaine will come over to you on that. Uh, is this a good thing, and, and how do those how do those regs work? So um, good and bad. Uh, one of the things on the yellow flag that's interesting is yellow flag is actually something that's been lacking for a while. So uh, what the yellow flag law does is allows the chief firearms officer to make an application to immediately suspend someone's license for a period of 30 days. And what's interesting about that is uh, in the Canadian Firearms Program, which we inherited their software and, and how we do things at the firearms office, is we would become suspicious of someone that maybe they shouldn't have a license and we needed to investigate. And we would put their license on review, which doesn't exist in legislation. But what it meant is if someone took their license to go buy a gun, right. the business would run the number and say, you can't sell it to you, it's on review. There was no actually authority for us to do that. It's just something that had always been done by the CFP. So yellow flag is good because it allows us to put people on review. The problem is there's a temporal limit of it of 30 days, which um, isn't horrible. I mean, you know, if we if we decide we need to suspend someone's license, usually within 30 days we're making a determination. But that hard stop is a little tricky uh, because we have to get it back in front of court if we're going to do something in that time. So right. that, that's problematic. I mean, we've already had tools under Section 117 of the Criminal Code to go and seize people's firearms if we think they're a threat to public safety, which we've done. And then we engage in, you know, revoking their license. Red flag laws um, are interesting in that they're they're there so that an individual, for example, a spouse or a victim of domestic violence, could bring an application to a court without engaging the police, without engaging the prosecutions on their own uh, for an emergency prohibition order to basically suspend an individual's license without any notice to them and that an order could be made to seize their guns. And in theory, that seems like a good idea. Mm -hmm. uh, try to fit that into an overloaded docket in provincial court try to have people navigate that system on their own. The question is, why wasn't it being done before with the tools that already existed when people would go to police and make complaints? Yeah. So is it a is it a problem that really exists or is it is it going to cause more issues down the road? And I don't think there's been consultation with courts about how are we going to fit this into our already overloaded provincial court dockets? Well, I think you threw out the word consultation. I, I, I wonder how much consultation generally was done with some of the federal directives that we've seen when it comes to firearms. I, certainly, I know the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police have been very critical that they haven't been included in a lot of the things. We haven't even started talking about firearm tracing, which I think mm -hmm. has it an absolute place. If we, if we want to be serious about gun crime in this country, we've got to get there as well. Okay, we need to take another break. We are going to open up the phone lines uh, just after the uh, break here for you to call in if you have a question for either the chief firearms officer robert freeberg or senior legal counsel and we're talking firearm questions so we're not getting free legal advice today uh 1-877-332-8255 after 10 30 the phone lines are open and i've got lots more too that i want to talk with these gentlemen about when it comes to firearms in our province you're listening to 650 ckom and 980 cjme Super Bowl coming up this weekend. I would have to say this group would be one of my all-time favorite Super Bowl halftime shows. Aerosmith. Loved, loved that halftime show. It's been a few years, but uh, I thought it was a good one. Okay, apparently I'm uh, in a different time zone. I said we're going to be opening up calls for the chief firearms officer uh, after 10.30. I meant after 9.30, so I'm operating on daylight savings time. That's my bad. one 332 8255 Phone lines are open now if you want to call in. If 
you want to text in. I've got Robert Freeberg, who is Saskatchewan Chief Firearms Officer and for the province of Saskatchewan, and Mr. Blaine Bevan, lawyer for the Saskatchewan Firearms Office, Senior Legal Counsel. They're both here, so if you've got a firearms question about the province of Saskatchewan and firearms, these are the two guys to have on the other end of the phone. So if you want to give us a call, phone lines are open, one 332 8255 All right, I'm going to go to Ken in Saskatoon. Thanks for calling in. Ken, what is your question? Hi, my question is, how will paintball markers, um, CO2 and pellet guns and airsoft be affected by the gun ban? Okay, so how are uh, paintball markers and airsoft rifles affected by the gun ban? Maybe, Blaine, is that for you? Yeah, sure. So um, C-21 did amend the uh, definition of replica firearm. Uh, there was um, some amendments that came out in November 2022 that were very concerning that were eventually walked back that would have really impacted airsoft uh, and pro- potentially paintball. But basically, the line in the sand that exists, exists now is if it's a replica firearm, so it looks like a like a real gun, um made to resemble or with near precision but then the big distinction is it has to be able to um, discharge a projectile could be a bb could be a pellet uh, at a velocity exceeding 152.4 meters per second or 5.7 joules which has basically been the line in the sand for when uh, for example air rifles could become uh, firearms so that hasn't changed that other than if it looks like a like a gun and it exceeds that, you're going to have problems. It's going to be a replica firearm, and then certain rules will exist around it that didn't exist before. one 332 8255 If you've got a question, give us a call. We'd be more than happy to... Uh to pose your question in front of our experts today, again, it's Chief Firearms Officer Robert Freeberg for the province of Saskatchewan and Senior Legal Counsel for the Saskatchewan Firearms Office, Mr. Blaine Bevan. All right, Edwin in Regina, thanks for calling in. What's your question? Okay, I've got to renew my firearms license this year. I have a prohibited pistol and prohibited rifle. So are they going to give me back the same license I have, or what's going on? I've heard there's changes. Robert? Yes, well, if you've got um, if you've got a um, prohib status on the license you have now, as long as you renew it and keep it renewed, the, your status remains the same. But I have been uh, indicating to people like uh, get those applications in early. We get lots of calls to the office, and I just wanted to clarify this. And I mentioned it to Evan during the break. Uh, a lot of just so people under, understand the licensing process of actually renewing these licenses, receiving your money and doing the printing of the cards all exists in Miramichi. It's a federal responsibility. The only time the province gets involved is if these, for some reason, these licenses flag, like there's some type of public safety issue or some type of investigation has to happen or we can't, they can't find the person because you've uh, not put in the right email and phone numbers and so forth. We'll try to track them down. But for the most part, a normal renewal gets done by Miramichi. But when people call because it's taking... And sometimes six months to get those, Evan, yeah. which is, you know, ridiculous in my opinion. But at the end of the day, they say it's with the CFO office. Well, it's not. It's with the CFO processing unit in Miramichi. And so we get calls, people saying, well, why is Saskatchewan sitting on my application? But right. That's just not the case. That's not where the holdup is. No. It's not here. Does that answer your question, Edwin? Yes, thank you. Okay, great. Thanks so much for calling in. one 332 8255 Jerry in Yorkton, thanks for calling in. You've got a question for one of our guests? Yeah, I sure do. You know, when it comes to handguns, I, I, I'm a legal, you know, uh, restricted firearm owner. And so 
like let's say I know I have a terminal illness or I, I know my time is short and I decide to do whatever I do with that gun and then family doesn't know where that gun is. Who, who's going to be responsible for tracking these guns that show up in, in families where the licensed owner has deceased? Excellent question. And I actually brought that up at the Senate when I made an appearance in pushing back on C-21. And I talked to Evan about this earlier. That's your point is is accurate. Is I mean, you have these firearms in an estate um, person who's taking over the estate that becomes the executor or I mean, he takes over the position of the licensed holder. But at the same time, um, they may not know anything about firearms. And, you know, these firearms may be potentially they get stolen or they think they can just give them to cousin Jimmy because he always went hunting and shooting with uh, Uncle Bill who'd passed away. Right. And then all of a sudden these firearms disappear. And because there's no value attached to them anymore in the past, we would just transfer them. They'd get sold. Their state would get the money. And, um, you know, we knew who got them and made sure they were licensed and stored properly. And to your point, that's exactly the problem. And so um, we're very concerned about it. And we have raised it with the senators. Um, we believe there might be something coming down the line uh, for some modifications to the regulations. But as it currently stands, I mean, the only people that can get that firearm, somebody who's in Olympic shooting sports, or it's for the purposes of their job, or right. it gets exported to Pretty the United limited. States. So it's very limited, very difficult to dispose of those firearms. So when we talk about firearms that are coming across the border, we, we aren't seeing U.S. smuggled into Canada firearms in Saskatchewan nearly at the rate that you do on, say, in Metro Toronto area or Vancouver. Where where do you see a lot of the firearms that are being used for a criminal purpose, which, uh, you know, is being, police talk about this all the time, the number of firearms in our provinces is alarming that are being used in the commission of an offense. Are, are we still thinking a lot of those are, are locally sourced, they're stolen from, from break-and-enters and then converted to crime use, or is smuggling becoming a bigger thing in Saskatchewan now? Well, there's no question of smuggling. I mean, we're, as we know, with the crime, I mean, these gangs and stuff are moving across Canada, and with them they bring these guns, uh, yeah. guns with them. So, I mean, they were certainly starting to see some of that, and it's more predominant. But, again, um, you know, there is some firearms that were brought years and years ago that were in the old system they didn't get transferred over to the new system and the same issue that we're talking about now with c21 existed with those firearms and so somebody gets it stolen they don't report it because they didn't have it registered but so there's some of that but the most part it's modified firearms it's firearms that are being uh chopped up and made into a you know a short-barreled firearm. They're sure. prohibited firearms for the most part. Chatting with Saskatchewan's Chief Firearms Officer Robert Freeberg and also Blaine Bevan, Senior Legal Counsel for the Saskatchewan Firearms Office. All right, let's take another call. We've got Randy in Warman. Thanks for calling in. Randy, what's your question today? Okay, I have uh, two questions. First question is, if I'm selling a legal firearm to uh, another person that has a possession and acquisition certificate, is there a new procedure that I have to uh, contact the police to see if it's okay to sell it to that person? Blaine, do you want to take that? Yeah. Uh, hi, Randy. So what what was uh, introduced about a year and a half ago was a requirement to seek what's called a reference number. Um, and you can do that by telephone. If you look at the RCMP website, you can find it on there. You can also do it online through the individual web portal that uh, Canadian Firearms Program puts out. But the idea is that you're confirming that that person's license is actually valid because they might have a card, but their license could have been revoked for whatever reason and they still have the card. 
So the idea is that you're actually doing a little bit of a background check and they don't take any information about the firearm. It's not creating a registry. It's just you can call in. Uh, the other person calls in to uh, made up on the reference number and then you'll get a number that, that comes back and when CFP gives that to you, you know that that person's license is valid. You can complete that transfer um, because it is an offense to complete a transfer without confirming validity of the other person's license. Randy, you okay. said you had another question? Yes. If I ha- uh, I'm renewing my possession and acquisition uh, certificate and uh, I'm doing this months ahead, uh, if there is delays, because say I have uh, my license expires, say March first, and I do not get my possession acquisition certificate back by then, uh, what course of action do I have? So, with that, um, in the law, the Firearms Act, there's actually a built-in grace period of six months. So uh, the idea is obviously, like you're doing, uh, you apply early, but because there are delays. You're entitled to maintain possession of those firearms for six months. Uh, Generally, what we recommend is don't go out and use them during that extension period of six months uh, just because your license isn't technically valid, but you're allowed to keep them in possession. Uh, You cannot transfer or acquire any new firearms during that extension period. I think you could probably transfer them away to sell them, but you couldn't purchase any new ones, and I don't believe you'll be able to purchase ammunition during that period either. Blaine Bevan, Senior Legal Counsel for the Saskatchewan Firearms Office. Also with me, Robert Freeberg, Saskatchewan's Chief Firearms Officer. Phone lines are lit up. We're going to take another break and we'll come back for the last segment. Uh, we'll try and get to the calls we can. We've got Yellow Creek, Floral, Moose Jaw, a whole bunch of centers on the line wanting to talk firearms right here on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Well, good Friday morning, and thanks so much for joining us. I'm Evan Bray. This is a learning journey for me. I'm only two months into this job. Lesson today, if you're going to talk firearms, give yourself more time than an hour because we we are we are at the end of our time. we got about six minutes left, and uh, the calls are continuing to come in. Robert Freeberg, Saskatchewan's Chief Firearms Officer and Senior Legal Counsel for the Saskatchewan Firearms Office, Mr. Blaine Bevan, are my guests. So, Bob, uh, just let's touch, before we take a couple more calls, you've got some great initiatives that are going on right now. Maybe touch on some of the things you're focused on. Well, one of them that we've that was in the news a while back is that we the premier actually signed an MOU with the Métis Nation, and I can't be more excited about it. I mean, that's one of the reasons I took this job, Evan. I mean, yeah. I want our heritage to continue. I want our young people coming into this, and I want people to be in compliance and so forth. So, what a great opportunity! I mean, Métis Nation is going to partner with us and some of the clubs across the province to get more people licensed, educated, and trained, but also to provide some heritage and and we'll learn from each other because you know and we're moving forward with that initiative across the province i mean we just had another meeting up in prince albert yesterday with pa grand council i'm pretty excited where that's going at the end of the day the indigenous community and not, and uh, across saskatchewan's our best friends here mm-hmm. i mean at the end of the day they love the same things we love with hunting and fishing and, and, and firearms and they also have the ear of the federal government so i think it's a great fit encourage people to to work with them yeah good stuff all right let's take a couple of calls blaine and moose jaw thanks for calling in blaine what's your question um so a couple months or no i guess about a month ago i uh i had to renew my firearms license and i noticed on the website when i went to renew it it said in march of this year that the fees for the licenses are going to be increasing and I never heard anything about that. And I'm just wondering when or if the federal government even announced this. And is there going to be a cap on that fee increase? 
That's a, a good question that I can speculate the answer to, but what do you say, Bob? Boy, I tell you what, if I had a crystal ball, I'd probably do really good in the stock market, Evan, because I, the, honestly, <laughs> that one is uh, up to the federal That's government. The we have no control of it. Yeah, that. but I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'll be shocked if they put a cap on it. Yeah. This, this current government, anyway. I mean, yeah. we may see some total changes when it comes to if a change in government next federal election but what we're seeing out of this government they need yeah. to raise money for the confiscation program. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's go to bob now in floral home of gordy howe and bob you've got a question yeah my question uh, is if you're a handgun illegal handgun owner and you realize that your value really exists possibly only in the u.s market am i allowed to sell my handguns to the U.S. market, and if I do, do I have to keep any records for Miramichi on that sale? Great uh, question, Bob, and I was actually at the SHOT Show here a while back and actually met with the ATF and their import folks. So you can do that, and it requires an exporter, and the exporter would look after that paperwork with you to so that Canada knows that you've exported the firearm and it goes through global affairs and all those type of things. But at the end of the day, you should be aware that the on the American side, they're very restrictive on the firearms that they actually allow in for import. And, and ironically, like the AR-15, for example, they manufacture them by the millions, but they don't allow any to be coming back into the country. Mm-hmm. So I guess that keeps their homegrown base uh, they, continuing yeah. to manufacture new ones. But again, there is exporters that can help you with that. All right. We, I'm going to squeeze in one more question. Tanner in Yellow Creek, uh, you've got a question about private shooting range, Tanner? Yeah, good morning. Uh, so my dad and I are both uh, RPAL holders, and we've got a property in the middle of nowhere tucked way back in the bush, uh, not easily accessible to the uh, public. And uh, we were kind of toying with the idea of maybe building a private shooting range for using our handguns, just uh, the two of us. Uh, so my two questions are, is that possible? And if it is, how would I go about doing that? So you heard him say building a private range just for the two of us. I'm guessing, Bob, that's where if 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 you're just for you and versus if it's being opened up, is that where it changes? Well, and that's the problem. I mean, I get it and I understand the you know what you're saying that you're not creating a public safety risk, but at the end of the day the regulations around approving a range for that use stipulate that it has to be used for a business or for a club, for example, it's incorporated for the purposes of I guess that would be a business memberships, yeah. memberships. but yeah, especially, when, especially when you're using restricted handguns because you can only use those on an approved range or on, right. a, on a range that allows for shooting handguns. So you get into the, if it was rifles, it'd be a different story, but handguns, it, it becomes complicated. You have to set up a club. You have to get insurance. You have to jump yeah. through the whole rigmarole. Yeah, and there isn't a mechanism for us to just o- overturn that. I mean, that's in the legislation. Okay, okay, we are literally out of time. I'm 30 seconds away from uh, having to go to our next break here. So I'm just going to call it uh, at this point. Thank you to everyone that's called in and texted in. We are going to do this on a regular basis, and maybe we'll try and assign a little bit more time because we didn't get to uh, – I was wanting to talk tracing. We didn't get to your ballistics lab. So we'll uh, schedule you in uh, to come back again here. Robert, Freeberg, Saskatchewan Chief Firearms Officer, and Mr. Blaine Bevan, Senior Legal Counsel for Saskatchewan Firearms Office. Thank you both for coming in. Thank you, Evan. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.